Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with our awesome sponsors, Najahi Event and Najahi Tribe. More about them later. Now, this podcast has been going now. I think we're in episode 100 and whatever it is, 20-something or something. I can't remember exactly. And ever since I started this podcast, I wanted to try and generate and create content that was valuable to you with guests on my show that had important stories to share, can inspire, motivate, encourage, or just make you look at life a little bit differently. But this podcast's always going to need more people to consume this content, more people. And the way that more people consume the content is from the help that you give me. So before I introduce my next guest, can I just ask you a massive favor? Please, 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 if you're on iTunes, and you're listening to this from your Apple device, please can you go and give this a five-star rating wherever you are in the world. It would take half a second and it would mean so much to me if you did. And if you're listening to this through Android or on Spotify, on SoundCloud, go leave me a positive comment because the more people that comment and leave five-star ratings, the more audience reach this podcast will get. And the team and I work here so hard at trying to find the right people for you. So if you could do that, that you honestly, I genuinely be very grateful. So I've been trying to get this person on the show for blooming ages. All right. She's somebody that I have got a massive amount of respect for. Not only is she fantastic, but my wife is her number one fan here in the world. And I am constantly being sent information from this, uh, from my wife about this awesome lady, how she speaks, how she engages and what she does. If you don't know her, okay, you're hiding under a rock, okay? If you struggled at all with any mental health issues, any challenges in your life and you don't know her, then you need to. Her name is Marissa Peer. She's a world-renowned speaker, rapid transformational therapy trainer. She created this strategy. She's a best-selling author of a number of books, okay, through her public speaking, therapy training courses, and best-selling books. Award-winning therapist Marissa Peer has profoundly changed the lives of countless people. Drawing on her three decades of experience treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, the royal family, Olympic athletes, and it just goes on. Marissa brings an unparalleled breadth of experience, candor, and compassion to everything she does. Her audiences, readers, trainees, and clients consistently report dramatic results after working with Marissa. Her therapy method itself is world-renowned for its ability to affect lasting change in the room without the need for ongoing sessions. I want you to really pay attention to the next hour's worth of content as I welcome the incredible Marissa Peer. You have no idea about how excited I am to have you here on the podcast this evening, Marissa. Look, everyone knows who you are. Everyone in my community consumes your content. And I've had loads of questions today from my audience saying, please ask Marissa this, please ask Marissa that, because they want to know. But for the for the people that are hiding under a rock somewhere that may not know who you are, please just introduce yourself for everybody. So I'm a therapist and I created my own brand of therapy called RTT, which was very cool because very few women 
I know, and I said, we have Freud and Erickson, but not enough women. And it was always my passion to change therapy, make it much more user-friendly. So I've written some books, I teach my method, and I have a great life traveling around the world, but my big passion is helping people change, but really fast. I think you can change people in 10 minutes if you know how, and I just don't believe in this years of therapy. So that's me. And do you think then that the, the people that have this years of therapy, it's just because society has said that's what's required, that people get kind of seduced and sucked into that long-term therapy treatment? I mean, it's a belief, isn't it? There's no other healing modality in the world that says turn up every week with your pain and we'll discuss it. If you have raging toothache, you don't discuss it, you get fixed. If you have a broken leg or heart problems, you don't discuss it. You may have a brief discussion about the treatment plan. And so when people are in pain and it may be emotional pain, I've got pain of depression or I have anxiety or I, I can't find love, that's causing me pain. I lack confidence, that's causing me pain. That's no different to having the pain of having um, panic attacks and, and you want someone to fix your pain. And so clients come to me in immense pain, all kinds of pain. And it doesn't matter if that pain's from limiting beliefs or a broken leg, they need to be fixed. And I think we've sold people a myth, you know, many, and I love all therapists, all therapists bar none want to help people, but they have this very weird belief. Therapy is about building a relationship with your therapist, build up lots of trust. And when you've built up the trust, now you can start to get better. Well, I went into anaphylactic shock once in New York. It was very unexpected. And I got rushed off in an ambulance. I didn't need to build any trust with that doctor. It was just like, get me out of this, I can't breathe, my mouth's out here. I don't need any trust, just make me better. And so I, I tried to base my therapy on, trust is lovely, but people want to get better fast. We live in such a fast world now that we just don't have time to turn up every Wednesday at four and talk about our pain. That involves a long commute, it involves a lot of money, it involves time off work and having to pay for childcare. And then there's some new studies called HEBS that have shown something I've always known, which is when you begin any therapy, of course you feel good. Someone's listening to you, you feel important, but long-term turning up every week and discussing the same thing actually starts to have the reverse effect because you're talking about something and you're opening that wound over and over again. So which is my passion to Einstein said, simplify, simplify, simplify. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to simplify therapy. And I did. And I'm very pleased that I did. How did it come about for you? And, and how long ago was it? And did you kind of have some epiphany moment? Or was it was it born from frustration? Where, where, where did the, the whole RTT idea come from? That's such a good question. So initially, I was going to be a child psychologist. I was very young, I think 21. And I realized that that's a tough job when you're 21. Because you have three patients, mom, dad, and the child. Parents are often divorced, and you're working with three people all on a different page. And so I abandoned that, and I went to LA, and I ended up teaching aerobics for Jane Fonda, which was tremendous fun in the 80s. But that was my first epiphany, because every third woman in my class was anorexic, bulimic, exercise compulsive, or had body dysmorphia, and quite a few men too. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is a mental illness and you can't cure anorexia with aerobics 
or weighing food because both anorexia and bulimia come from this belief, I'm not enough and I need more. I need more food, so I've got bulimia or I need to be more thin, so I've got anorexia. And I happened to live in West Hollywood with two roommates. One was bulimic, one was anorexic. They were incredible teachers for me. So that was my first epiphany. I could find a way of working with people with anorexia because it's so heartbreaking and it's becoming kind of an epidemic. And I studied hypnotherapy to change the thinking because what a lot of therapy does is let's change the behavior. You're terrified of mice, so let's draw a mouse and desensitize you to a mouse when really you need to find out why. No babies are scared of mice. In fact, they probably find them fascinating. Babies will pick up a spider and put it straight in their mouth if you let them. And so I studied psychology more and understood a truth that we're not told. We only have two fears. We're born with two fears, the fear of falling, especially backwards, and the fear of loud noises. There are no other fears. Babies will walk straight out of an upper window, shove their hands in an electric socket. They don't say, oh, don't look at me naked. I've got fat thighs and I haven't got any teeth and I've got milk spots. So. I began to understand that if this is all acquired, we can fix it. So my first epiphany was definitely working for Jane, who would be the first to say she had her own eating disorders and, and fixing people was incredible. And then all my other epiphanies came from my own clients who go, wow, you know, when I came in last week and you did that one thing, I, that was just amazing. They'd say, I've been in therapy for 10 years and you got me in five minutes. So I was always collating what worked with real clients in real time, what turned them around and, and what was transformational. And I took all of that information and created our TT. And one of the things that was a real epiphany was I worked with thousands and thousands of drug addicts, alcoholics, gambling addicts, and they all said the same thing, but I'm not enough. I need more alcohol, I need more cake, I need more praise, I need more drugs, I need more to feel good. And I began to realize that the common denominator for almost all of my clients' issues was, oh, they don't feel enough. Hoarders, they hoard because they don't feel enough. Bingers binge, they don't feel enough. Needy people say, can, can you tell me I'm okay? Can you give me more praise? Because they don't feel enough. And then I started to not only treat that, but to teach all other therapists, look, if you treat not enoughness in your clients, you'll cure all their issues, not one. It's a bit like peeling away the layers of an onion. I'm a compulsive shopper, I'm a kleptomaniac, I'm a compulsive eater, I'm very needy. But when I get to the core, it's just that you don't feel enough, which is, actually very easy to fix because no baby's born thinking I'm not enough. We learn that. We learn it from parents. We learn it from school. And so that was my big epiphany. Oh, right. That's what we should all be treating. And I know it works because we now have an I'm enough program in many schools and we teach it to bullies and the children who are bullied and, and the, the results are incredible. So I'm immensely proud of that. So just explain to me in a bit more detail, you, you came up with this idea, this concept, and, and then you introduced it. Obviously, you had to try it on a few different people and a few different scenarios. How, how much kind of tinkering with it did you have to do before you perfected it? And over what period of time was that? You know, not much at all. I remember many years ago, I was working on a television show in America, and a Another TV show company was, you know, we've got this really, oh my God, this celebrity who's just 
it's so difficult. It's costing $10,000 a minute to film this show and he's an addict and he keeps disappearing. And they said, can you go to his house and work your magic? You seem to be able to deal with these crazy celebrities because I understand where they come from. You know, talented people are often incredibly sensitive. We look at someone like um, George Michael or Michael Jackson or uh, Whitney Houston or indeed Amy Winehouse. And although we see the damage, if you peel it, that is a super sensitive person who's also very suggestible. Here's the truth. If you are suggestible, if you're creative, you're suggestible. You can say to Anthony Hopkins, hey, Anthony, can you play a terrifying psychopath? Yeah, because I can see that in my head. I can, I'm, I can create it, I'm suggestible. You see, when you're that suggestible, when you're Britney Spears and you're that, oh, you don't look right, you're not thin enough, you're not right enough, you're not good enough. They they take that in and believe it. I mean, look at Heath Ledger. I mean, beautiful, talented, but so many people who are talented have this self-destructive belief that I'm not enough. And so it didn't take me long at all to, to work it out. And, and what helped me was that People would say, no, I'm not enough because I don't have any money. I'm not enough because I live in a shared apartment. I don't even have a car. Look, I've got these fat legs, this double chin. I, I wear clothes from, you know, bargain basement stores. But then I'd work with billionaires living in on yachts in uh, uh, Miami or in, indeed in Dubai and they go, yeah, not enough. I know I've got all of this and I've got everything, but I need more. I, I keep building more houses, buying more yachts, having a different partner, because I just don't feel enough. And so that was my teachers that you can have everything, but if you don't have enoughness, you don't have anything. And so I started to speak about it and I gave a speech about it for Mind Valley Visions Company in 2015 and it was voted the best speech. I got a standing ovation. It was really nice, but it was nice because people say, wow, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and I've learned more in 20 minutes listening to you than I have. And many psychiatrists and doctors, I would train them into this not enoughness and they say, wow. And, Imperial Medical College in London said, you know, this is so amazing because we have weight loss clinics. We can't get people to lose two pounds. I mean, they lose three, they gain four, they lose four, they gain six. But you seem to get people to be able to lose so much or even half their body weight. I said, yeah, because I don't make them feel bad. I never say, oh, come on, just stop eating cakes. I go, look, you weren't born with this. Let's go back and find out what's going on this voracious appetite is because you feel empty inside. That's why you say, I'm never full, I'm always hungry. And let's forget about everything else and treat the emptiness inside. And again, that was an epiphany that so many of my clients would say, I feel empty, I, I, what's, hung, what's full? I don't recognize that. But no baby is born eating voraciously. When they've had enough, you can't make them overeat. And so I had so many epiphanies, you know, working with tiny children of five and having them get explained to me that, so I'll give you an example. I was working with a little boy that had chronic eczema all over his arms and legs. And when I said to him, you know, darling, I know this is a funny question, 
But when you have something that you don't want, it's trying to be your friend. I know that sounds odd. For an adult, we could say, look, if you keep getting these headaches, if you keep getting irritable bowel, if you keep getting conjunctivitis, there must be some part of you that finds it useful. But with him, I had to speak in the language of the five-year-old and I hadn't even finished when he said, well, every night I stand like that and mommy puts on wet bandages and cream and takes a long time and she doesn't put any cream on that baby. And that was an epiphany. It's like, oh, of course, at some level he asked for that. He watched mommy massage the baby. He said, mommy, can I have that? No, you're a big boy. Mommy, I want you to put cream on me. No. This is for the baby. And so what we do without ever knowing, we make a decision. I want my to put cream on me. I want my stepfather to stop looking at me in that weird sexual way. I want some attention. And the mind doesn't go, let me find something super positive. It's like your mind is the genie and your wish is its command. And lo and behold, we've got eczema. She put cream on him every day. And so it was showing clients, you know, I know you don't want to have chronic migraines. Nobody would want them, but at some level you made a choice. And we had a girl training with us who had 40 injections in her head every month because she had such bad migraines. And then she said to me, you know, I started to get them when my father began to tell me that I must become a lawyer and take over his law firm. I'm like, I want to be a DJ. I don't want to do that. And he was like, no, I spent all this money on your school fees. You're my only child, you must. But when she got the headaches, he began to go, well, well, this is never gonna happen. You'll be lucky to get a job in Starbucks with those headaches. And so they served a purpose, they had a role. And that was an epiphany too, working out that no one chooses to be sick or ill or nervous or anxious, but many times the mind says, this is very useful. And if you have something you can't get rid of, like binging or sabotaging yourself, your mind thinks you need it. And when you uncover that, amazingly, it will go away really like that. When you when you talk about that, that makes me think about people that that have depression that are almost addicted to the feeling of depression. They that yeah. they, they kind of that it's almost like you're craving more of that feeling of of misery to remind yeah. you of the place where it's almost like you know that place, so you're comfortable in that place of misery after a while. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I've worked with many people, chronically depressed. People write to me and say, you know, I watched your I'm Enough talk, and amazingly, within three days, I just wasn't depressed. I, I never realized that those three little words could change everything. Because I've worked with people with suicidal depression for the last 33 years, and I realized that depressed people it's very rarely a chemical imbalance in your brain. That doesn't mean that some people don't do well on medication, but the studies that say you have a chemical imbalance causes depression, they're not flawed because they're non-existent. They were created by a drug company. And I spend a lot of time in Africa where people are pretty poor and yet they don't have this debilitating depression. And I found with my clients, there was always three things that was making depressed. The number one was harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself on a daily basis, that would make anyone depressed. I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, who's gonna to want to go out with me? Who's gonna to want to employ me? Everything I touch turns to shit. And I realized that my depressed clients were so hard on themselves, so critical, so harsh, so hurtful. And I had to show them how to stop that and flip it over. 
The second thing that causes depression, and it's really an epidemic, is disconnection. You know, we live in a world, we've got 500 Facebook friends, we work from home on the computer, and then we speak to our friends online, but we don't actually see anyone. In fact, I was in a cafe recently, it said, we don't have Wi-Fi, talk to each other. Because people now go to cafes and they've got their phone. My daughter is incapable of eating a meal without having a phone in front of her. She's too grown up for me to say no. But you know, we get on a plane, everyone's on their phone. I was going through Norway on a train with my husband. I kept saying, baby, look at this water, look at the view. And he was, but he was like on the screen. I'm like, we're gonna have to surgically extract that thing from your palm soon. You know, I, I went to see one of my clients who's a very famous rock star in concert and everybody was filming it and nobody's looking. They're looking at their computer. And they're, they're never even going to watch that stuff back. And it, it really resonated with me once when I got on. I, you know, we used to get on the plane and they used to offer you a newspaper. Do you, do you remember that? And you, so you get on the plane, they'd offer you a newspaper. And, and having lots of magazines. That's right. Well, they don't do that anymore. Nobody, nobody wants a newspaper. Nobody wants the, the, the anything because they've got the information on their phone. And I find that really sad. I quite, I quite like, you, you know, the, the Sunday Times. It's yeah. when, you, when you buy it, it's about that big. And, you know, there's, there's bits in it for everybody. But there's nothing nicer than on a Sunday morning at the dining table with the sun coming through the window, having the Sunday Times open, the broadsheets open and going through it with a cup of coffee in your hand. And that kind of, that, that to me is just so much more than just staring at your phone and trying to scroll through various stuff. Yeah, and I find when I go to the cinema now, you'll see people put half of their bit bored, so they get out their phone and start reading messages. It, it's allowed us to really not focus on anything at all. And you know, I wake up in the morning, I reach for my phone. I should reach for my husband, but he's actually gets up earlier than me. <laughs> but it, the disconnection is an epidemic that's getting worse and worse. You know, in Japan now, you can rent friends. They're creating robots to keep old people company. They've got an epidemic of older ladies going to jail and loving it there because it's like being in a girls' boarding school. They don't want to come out. Wow. So the world is becoming very strange. And, and But the third thing, that also causes depression is failing to follow your heart. So I've always wanted to be an, a doctor, but I couldn't go to medical school, so I became a teacher. But I'm forever, I haven't followed my heart, I haven't made, done what made my heart sing. And many of my clients come in at retirement and say, you know, I'm so depressed. I never followed my dream and it's too late. And it's actually not too late. I've had clients who want to be doctors who've become healers, done Reiki. Many of the people we train in our TT say, you know, I always wanted to be a doctor. And I didn't realize that our TT is, is a way of doing wellness. And I've been a fireman all my life, but wow, I can actually make people better. And so I find those three things without question cause depression. It's only my opinion, but I get a lot of good feedback from it. And then the other thing is people who are very depressed have an interesting belief. There's no cure, you know, nothing works. And even if it did, it wouldn't work for me. So before you can treat someone like that, you have to remove that belief. Of course it works and it will absolutely work for you. So it's really a system that everyone should use. People come in with an issue or a problem and you should first of all find out how they got it, why they have it, where it came from. That's really important. Then you've got to remove it. And then you've got to code in and wire in 
a new belief. So when we teach, train our therapists, you train 7,000, your first job is to be a detective, gather information, work out what is going on here. Why has this person got um, a chronic inflammation? Why has this person got unexplained? I mean, it's unexplained. What does that even mean? It means your ovaries are great, your partner's sperm is great, your womb is great. We don't understand why you can't get pregnant. So the first thing is to be a detective and unravel that. The second thing is to be like a dentist and extract all those toxic beliefs. And the third thing is to be a coder and wire in and fire in a new belief. And if you do that in that order, in that system, you will get extraordinary results over and over again. Okay, let's talk a little bit about hypnotherapy. I, I have a terrible memory. Okay, I've had a terrible memory for as long as I can remember, and I've blamed it on every excuse I can think of over the years. And um, I've got to know Jim Quick, and uh, we, we talked about memory, and obviously on the show, maybe you know Jim from uh, Mind Valley too. Can hypnotherapy help me with my bad memory? Absolutely. Interesting you just called it my bad memory. So here's a little hint. If you want to get rid of something, never, ever call it mine. My irritable bowel, my indigestion, my greed. It's not yours. If you call something mine, you own it. If you call it the, the bad memory, you don't own it. So never call it mine again. Because the minute you call something mine, it belongs to you. So I say, look, here's my husband. If my husband said, here's the wife, I wouldn't like that. The wife, I'm not the wife. Here's the PA, here's the assistant. We call it, this is my lovely PA. This is my child, not here's the kid. So memory, everyone has an amazing memory. The, the me your memory bank is phenomenal because your subconscious mind is always switched on and it's always on record. And you people say, oh, you know, I just went back to my school 60 years later and I could remember that's where my desk was, that's where my friend was. I heard this song from the 60s and I remembered where I was when it was playing. I went back to Greece and this smell and I suddenly remembered. So we record everything. The problem is access to that recording. Now, when you say things like, I'm going to forget that terrible time, I'm going to put that awful experience out of my mind, I'm going to forget that person who broke my heart, your mind picks up really if you want to forget. And we say things like, no, forget about that, put it out of your mind, never refer to it again. And then we form a belief, I need to not remember. We say, oh, this is driving me crazy, all this studying, I just, it's killing me. And so your mind will listen to every word you say. And if you have a poor memory, as weird as it sounds, you need to start saying, I have an amazing memory, an infallible memory, an incredible, a foolproof dependent. I have an amazing memory. My husband's always astonished. that you can say, where's my keys? Oh, I saw them yesterday. They were on the dining room table. Where's my credit? Oh, I saw those yesterday. They're um, next to the plant. Because I tell myself that I have an incredible memory, an amazing memory. And if you tell yourself that, it actually starts to come true. So it's very important for you not to say, oh, I've got a memory like a sieve. I'd forget my eyes if they weren't screwed in. Uh, I just forget. When my little girl was little, 
she used to go to school and she did this thing that all kids do. She'd get to the gate and come back. And I'd always say, what have you remembered? My swimming costume, my artwork, my PE kit. I never said, what have you forgotten? I said, you know, darling, your mind is so clever. As you get to the gate, it reminds you and you come back. And I was teaching her to go, mom, I forgot. Oh, I'm always forgetting every day I get, then I forget. And I said, no, you remember. And so, it sounds crazy, but you know, the mind learns by repetition, whatever you tell yourself, because if you keep saying, I've got terrible indigestion, I've got terrible gas, I get awful headaches in the winter when the heating comes on, you can make that real. And if you say, I've got a phenomenal metabolic rate, I'm, I'm so incredibly healthy, you can make that real too because your mind doesn't care if what you tell it is right or wrong. And it certainly doesn't know. So you might as well tell it amazing things. You make your beliefs and then your beliefs turn around and make you. And then the world seems to incredibly match what you believe. Uh, uh, all men are bastards. They all, they all, there's not a, you can't find a man after the age of 50, more likely to be run over by a bus. Uh, my, my 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 producers sitting here looking at me smiling right now. I think the all, all men are bastards thing have come out a few times. <laughs> That's just silly belief. What do you mean all men? You've got a brother, a father, a child. You know, it, it's probably not the best example to use, but but I see so many people say, yeah, you know, um, oh, I, I can't. My husband has only got fifty million sperm. I can't. I need five hundred million. I said, actually, you know what? You need you need one one the rest is all redundant if he had 10 you could get pregnant because here's a weird thing they say at school now don't do heavy petting because one little sperm can leak out and swim up there and get you pregnant okay 20 years later i met my doctor said well you've only got 50 million sperm that's not enough and so we hear all these very strange beliefs that aren't true and we believe them to be true I, I can't get pregnant because I'm 35. My foot has fallen off a cliff. In fact, when you go for an x-ray in England, it says on it, if this client is between the age of 14 and 52, please make sure they're not pregnant. 52? Wow, is that really the cutoff age? Yeah, you can still get pregnant in your late 40s. It's a little harder, but it's very possible. So you have to listen to what you say to yourself. If I look at a cake, I get fat. How many people say that? I have to just look at a cake and I get fat. But if you say that, the stress of believing that creates cortisol and cortisol causes you to gain weight. I, I, when I go to speak in public, I go bright red and my mind goes blank and I, I sound like an idiot. You see, you can say whatever you want. You do have a choice. You can say my terrible memory, that's your choice. My um, irritable bowel, my nervous stomach, my blushing, my anxiety, my stutter. You can choose to talk like that, but what you can't choose is what you do to yourself when you talk like that, because every word you say is a blueprint that your mind and body have no choice but to work to make real. So when you say my terrible memory, that's a blueprint. And all you have to do is go my phenomenal, incredible, foolproof, reliable memory. Yes, you'll go, I'm just lying to myself, but I believe you should lie to yourself all the time because eventually it becomes real. So when you say my terrible memory, you're lying. 
So if you want to lie, let's go tell yourself a better lie. My incredible foolproof memory. And you'll probably get one. Excellent. Love that. Love that. Okay. Let's, um, let's just talk about the uh, RTT in, in terms of what people have been going through over the course of the last six months. We've seen obviously massive changes in our world. I've gone from a guy that gets up in the morning, goes to the gym at five in the morning, leaves there, showers, goes to work, spends my day running around like crazy, coming home in the evening and seeing my wife, to a guy that literally spends most of my time at home because all of my work now is done on Zoom. And at first it was fantastic. It was, how much time have I just saved not getting in the car? I can't believe how many people are turning up on time to meetings. It's brilliant. You know, a 2 p.m. meeting, they're there one minute to two. You didn't have that so much when you were out driving around the city. And so that was really exciting. And then what started to happen is I started to feel a disconnect. I started to feel essentially that that I, I needed to touch skin almost. It's kind of like an old English saying, isn't it? Touching skin, shaking hands. I wanted to shake hands with more people. I wanted to say hi and see how you're doing. And I felt very much like I was being pulled apart from human contact. And now we, we don't have the lockdown in exactly the same way, but it seems to be more that people are now getting comfortable you know there's a, there's a portion of the community that are like you know what I really like working from home actually I, I I really don't want to go to the office then there's the other part in the community that are like I'm not going to the office in case I, in case I catch a disease and then there's that smaller percentage that are like just get me back to the office please get me back to the office so I just want I just want to be around people you know and some people get their energy from people and some people have they, they will argue that they have their energy sapped from people. But what I know for sure is there there is a lot of people out there that are now talking more about the fact that they need more human interaction. Yeah, it's it's wired in our DNA. You see, we forget that 800 years ago, the thing that would make you survive on the planet was connection. When we're born, we have two drivers. I must find connection and avoid rejection because that's how you survive. If you watch something like Game of Thrones, you see it very clearly. Oh, survival is a numbers game. If I belong to a big tribe and they like me, I'm going to make it. If they don't like me, they cast me out or banish me or reject me, I will die. So we used to die from rejection, very much so. And now we don't, but we still feel like we will. And so what COVID has done, which is fascinating, and, and what I find most fascinating about COVID is it, it proves that I've told people all the time, events don't affect you, but the meaning you attach to the event affects you. What happens to you does not affect you, but how you think about it does. And here we are with COVID, half of it going, well, actually, you know, I love it. I'm at home with my kids. I'm teaching them maths through cookery lessons. I'm, I've got so much time. It's amazing. I'm, I'm really loving going back to a He's on the other half going, I absolutely hate it. I'm locked in, I'm trapped, I'm in lockdown, I'm in quarantine, none of which is true, by the way. You're not locked in, you're not in quarantine. Quarantine is when people come and visit you through a window. And, you know, Nelson Mandela did solitary for 27 years and actually changed political history. Isaac Newton developed the theory of gravity when he was physically locked in during the plague. And so, it's not what happens, it's how you feel about it. But the great news is you can change the feeling. I never say I'm in lockdown, I say I'm safe at home. I'm safe at home, 
I've got some time. How often do we say I'd love some time for myself? I've got time. I've got time to do stuff. And I do get it. You're stuck in an apartment with three kids, no outside space, you're homeschooling. It must be awful. But when you can't change a situation, what you can change is what it means to you. I, I'm, I was driving home one day on the motorway and there was a huge um, spillage ahead of me. And I think I sat in the same spot for three hours. It wasn't fun, but I remember thinking, okay, I've only got one choice here, how I feel about this. And luckily I always have in my um, car, personal development things to listen to, have a phone so I can ring people. I mean, with phones, you just never get bored. I can keep, I've got some snacks in my car because I always have stuff. And I decided I'm, I'm going to make the most of this. But I was looking at other people, Kevin, they were holding this. Oh, my God, I was driving me crazy walking up and down the motorway, yeah. getting yeah. so upset. You can't change a situation. You can't change being sitting on the tarmac for two hours because your flight's delayed. But you can change how you feel about it. And if you change how you feel about it, you change everything. You know, our thoughts control our feelings. Our feelings control our actions and our actions completely control our events. And so the one thing you can always change is your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, it really does change your life. And if you change your thoughts and make them positive, it makes your life extraordinary. And I know it sounds very Pollyanna, but it really, really works. Well, hold on. This, is, this, this to me sounds a lot like... You know, my, my dad will say to me, I'm a realist. And I'm like, dad, that's pessimism. And he's like, no, 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 that's realism. It's pessimism. And I'm like, and, and then people say to me, Spence, you're eternally optimistic. Why are you so optimistic about everything? And I'm like, what, if you consider the alternative, how could you be anything but? Because who would want the alternative to optimism? And it's almost like, it's almost like that, that positive self-talk that you're talking about here is repeating a positive message to yourself about a situation. It's just an optimistic way of considering something continually. Yeah, and it's a much better way. Yeah. It's a yeah. much better way. You know, it starts off being what you do, but then it really becomes who you are. And I find that with many of my clients, when I say, you know, I'm depressed, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, my kid is making me want to die. If I have one more day where I open the fridge, it's got peanut butter on the handle, then I pick up the thing by the lid and my kid hasn't screwed, smashes on the floor. I'm like, you know, your problem is someone else's fantasy dream. They would spend 20 grand on IVF to have your problem. My partner leaves their dirty pants on the floor. Somebody, someone would swap places with you tomorrow. And by the way, what would you have given 10 years ago for this problem? You, you got a mortgage and the rates are high. You, you're doing a commute to work and you say, this commute is the death of me. It's a nightmare. No, a nightmare is having no job, no car, no money for gas. That's a nightmare. And you know, I've spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe, which is very good for me. I've been to Cuba, downtown Jamaica, and you think, wow, if only people could see this, they'd never stand in the lines we're going, oh, this is hell. Look at this line to pay for groceries. This is a nightmare. No, you have groceries in your bag, money to pay for them in your purse and people to have dinner with. When did that become a nightmare? But you see, it's so simple. We use very powerful words to describe silly things. The, the 
freeway is killing me. The line in the store is driving me crazy. My partner makes me want to die. My boss is hell. I'm going to jump under a train if I have one more difficult client. These, these are all lies. I, I'm the size of a house. When I, I eat all weekend nonstop, like an out of control pig, do you go to the toilet? Yes. Do you go to sleep? Yes. So therefore you don't really eat all weekend, do you? And if you really ha had a bum the size of a barn, you wouldn't have got into my house because my house is not as big as a barn. So you're lying to yourself and I get it, but you just got to reverse it and tell yourself a better lie. The commute's a challenge. My boss is difficult. This client is challenging, but I'm learning a lot. I'm eating too much because of stress, but I have the power to do something about that. You see all those words, it's killing me, making me want to die. You know, I live in America and here's this word I hear all the time, I'm losing my shit. I'm like, no, you're not. Cause if you, I wouldn't be standing next to you. Why are you even saying that? I just lost my shit. I'm losing my shit. I'm gonna lose my shit in a minute. And it's such a stupid word. And if you keep saying that, you'll probably give yourself bowel problems because you're turning into it. I worked with a very eminent doctor who came to train with me and she said, you know what, it's so weird. This is what I've said every day for the last 20 years. This is doing my head into, I got a brain tumor. And I know, and I'm a doctor that I got that because I said it's doing my head in. I worked with someone, she came to one of my courses. And at the end, we were doing a little exercise <clears throat> and she suddenly screamed. I'm like, what? And she said, oh my God. She said, this is so weird. I've had painful feet for years. And the pain's gone. And I just stood up and walked down the steps. Normally I can't walk, I have to shuffle because I have collapsed arches, but I've just realized what I say every day. I just can't stand it. I can't stand my partner. I can't stand the noise. of I can't stand having to wait in line. I can't stand my kids' behaviors. And my arches have kind of seemed to have gone up just in half an hour. Cause I was doing this thing called a uh, healing vortex where you get the body to write itself and to go back to its original coding. And it sounds very woo woo, but we've, we've had amazing things happen. And if only people could understand one thing, every thought you think and every word is a blueprint. And now you can get your wife and your partners to say, oh, you said it again, my terrible memory, reverse that to my phenomenal memory and everything will change. It really will. You're, this is epic. I can say, I know we've only got a few minutes left, but I, I can talk to you for hours and hours on this. This is just fantastic. Thank you so much. Right, I've got a couple of quick, if you're happy to do this, a couple of quick fire questions I want to ask you. Um, and then what I would like to do is that there, there's people that are going to be listening to this and, and, and also in Emirates Women are going to be reading about this. And, and I'm, I'm going to want to make sure that they can get access to you. Just so you know, I've met one of your therapists um, in the UK, uh, I actually flew to the UK to meet her um, and had some treatment some time ago for a situation that I had. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm an example of somebody that's been through your process. Can you say or can't you say? Sorry? What was her name? Are you able to say? You don't have to. Oh, man. She, I met her in um, very close to Charing Cross. And you know what? She really, really, she really helped me out because I met her and... and no, she. I think she's 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 Russian heritage, tall, dark hair, um, um, not so glamorous. But you could see twenty years ago she was she was very very glamorous then. Um, we've got a lot in. We've got quite a few therapists in Dubai now doing incredibly well. So you don't have to travel anymore. We'll put you onto some. 
in Dubai. Well, she did a great job for me, so I'm, uh, I, I was very happy. Okay, good. Yeah, actually, I didn't realize that you had anybody in Dubai. So cool. Ten people in Dubai. Really good, too. How many people have you trained to do this RTT? 7,000 so far and more all the time. 7,000? Yeah, and all over the world. We have them in America and Australia, throughout Europe, in Russia, and everywhere you can think of, we now have um, therapists. It's extraordinary and incredibly moving. And how, how, hold on a minute, seven, how long has it taken you to get 7,000 people trained? Five years, because we do an online training. So we do a live training. We used to do a live training three times a year, and we take 70 people. And we had one grad for every eight people. And the live training was amazing. But then people were flying in from all over the country, from coming from Australia to London, coming from Papua New Guinea to London. And we realized that we, so we started to do live and online. And thank goodness we did, because when COVID hit, we had to switch all our, training to to online but we have something called a virtual classroom so it's not quite oh I put a screen on and watch stuff I I teach people virtually now and we like to do it hands-on too but the online has allowed us to train a lot of people and it's extraordinary I mean we obviously we train a lot of therapists a lot of doctors psychiatrists and nurses we've also trained police we must say policemen what do we call them law enforcement officers um I get in trouble for saying firemen. We've trained a lot of cabin crew and pilots and all kinds of people to become therapists. I mean, there are people we absolutely refuse to train. We don't just take anyone. You have to go through a system. But it's been just the most wonderful thing. It's the best job in the world. You set your own hours. I was a single parent. It was a joy for me to be a therapist because I'd work entirely around my child. You set your own hours. You set your own fees you become your own boss. But the biggest benefit by none is that you, you change people's lives, which in turn changes your own life. And everyone says, hey, I'd love to change the world. Well, change people then, because that's how you change the world. If I stop one kid being a bully, I'm changing all the children below him that would have been a bully. If I stop one dad being an alcoholic, I'm having an effect on his children. Not long ago, somebody came to me and said, I, I just can't stand having sex with my husband. We went back and worked out what that was all about. It's nothing to do with him. It's to do with her father, who was a bit weird and very sexual around her friends. And it just revolted her. And she said, wow, you just changed the lives of five people, me, my husband, and all my three kids who are going to be without their dad. And now they're not. So that was a lovely thing. Wow. Very powerful. Okay. Here's a quick fire questions just before we finish. If there was a movie about your life, who would you like to play you? Oh, who would I like to paint? Maybe Kate Blanchard, because I love her. She's so cool, calm, and collected. So, yeah. Okay. If you came back in another life, what animal would you choose to be if you came back? A cat, because they're very mystical creatures and they have nine lives. No, good one. Okay. When did you last cry? Uh, when did I? Oh, um, I cried last Monday because my little cat got mauled by two dogs, but my Stella husband rescued her and we raised her to the vet. So I felt very bad. I sort of felt, oh, I shouldn't have let her out. So that made me cry. But then I cried with happiness because she's better. Um, why did you agree to speak to me today? Um, well, you're a fellow Brit and I love Brits and I love um, meeting people and conversing and my passion is to have a legacy, you know, 
leaving a legacy. Wayne Dyer, who I knew very well, said something to me that I thought was incredible. Don't die with your music still inside you. And I had a brush with cancer just before I, I started my first one. I remember thinking, wow, you know, if I've got this amazing method and people write to me and say, you saved my life, you changed my life, you saved my kid's life. Really, that is my legacy. And I, I wanted to leave something amazing. I mean, I, was, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. There's no way that I was going to succumb to that. But I also, it also made me wake up to the fact that I needed to get on with my legacy. So I did. Okay. And lastly, there's going to be people right now that are going to say, I would like to be one of those 7,000 people. I would like to do that. And there's also going to be people here listening right now. And you know who you are that are like, I need help. How, how, how do people go about both of those two things? Okay. So if you want to train with me and do what I do, and it is the best job in the world, I wouldn't even be Beyonce. I love what I do so much. Go to rtt.com rtt.com and you can either find out how to train with us and do what we do but you can also find someone where you live who does rtt we also we also do skype gnosis and zoom gnosis we have a woman in australia funnily enough and all her clients are in dubai she gets up early in the morning works on dubai time we have quite a few rtt therapists in dubai who are doing therapy in greece and Sardinia and, and Manchester. So rtt.com to find out how to train with me or how to find someone who has trained with me and can change your life. Okay. And if people want to get RTT therapy, how do they do that? Oh, also go to rtt.com. rtt.com has a directory. We can You can write to us at support at marissapeer.com and say, hey, I'm in wherever I am. I'm in Abu Dhabi. And I want to see someone for infertility or panic attacks or eczema. So we have a list of specialists. We can find someone in your area or someone who's a specialist. So you can find an RTT therapist at rtt.com. You can find how to train with me at rtt.com. If you just want to know how to feel good about yourself, go to imenough.com because we give away so many products. And finally, we have marissapeer.com where we give away, we've got lots of audios on love blocks, wealth blocks, health blocks, money wiring, love wiring, they're all free. And we pretty much have made an audio for every issue you might have. And we constantly give those away. So go to marissapeer.com and take whatever you want. In the last one hour of talking to you, you've just changed me a little bit. And I want to say thank you for that. Good. Well, I have no doubt if I spoke to you in six months' time, you'd go, wow, Marissa, I've got an amazing memory. Who would have known that just saying that would make all the difference? For sure, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, how cool was that, chatting to the awesome and wonderful and glorious Marissa Peer. I'm trying to think of a song for you because I often part of my therapy do this thing called Sing a Better Song. And, um, you know, like when people are going to have surgery, they sing that song, I'm having the time of my life, or don't stop me now, I'm having a good time, or it's a new day, it's a new dawn, I'm feeling good. But there's a song called Do You Remember? I think it's by Earthwind. Yeah. Do you remember? Da, da, da. Yeah. I always get my clients to sing a song. Let's pick a little song for you. I can see clearly now the pain has gone. You know, obviously we changed it. But for you, and there's a great song when people are holding on that's like, We've already said goodbye, and since you got to go, you better go now. So they're letting all their negativity go. But I think you should sing, 
And I remember, just get that song, and I remember, and just keep singing about what you remember, not do you, and I remember, I remember everything. Or that Celine Dion song, it was not long ago, and it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> so if you sing a little song, we, we give all our clients songs to sing. Love is all around. Can you feel the love tonight? We will say there's no love. Of course, there's so much love. It's all around you. But yeah, I think that'd be good for you. It, you're, you know, you're right, you know, because when you go through, I don't know, I went through a breakup about 10 years ago and you go through a breakup and all I did was looked for music that could take me to a place where I could feel that emotion, that loss, that pain, that emptiness. And, 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 and so they they have they have powerful Im music has a powerful impact on you so don't stop believing i like that as well because that's a positive one yeah and you know with a breakup we all start to sing i can't live without you you're the only girl in the world for me um i die without you, you need to sing i'm a survivor i'm gonna make it i'm looking <laughs> finding someone new, lovers come around or call off the search. You know, that same thing, sing a better song. Brilliant, brilliant. You, you're, you're just epic. I'm so grateful for having you to come and spend some time with me on the show this evening. It's really, really awesome of you. Do you know what? Sometimes I get to the end of my podcast and I'm like, wow, wow, wow. I just, I left that episode literally learning something a little thing changed inside of me I've always said I have a poor memory I've always repeatedly told my staff my colleagues my clients my friends my family my my memory is poor and just talking to Marissa not even having therapy with her but just listening to the way that she positions it has made me understand that I've got to stop telling myself that story I've got to stop repeating it and maybe you heard that there as well and maybe something resonated with you I just had an hour's worth of indirect therapy, but also an opportunity for you guys to get to know somebody that has had such a massive impact on so many people around the world. So if you're going to see therapists, whether that's psychotherapists, whether that's psychiatrists, whether that's counsellors and you're spending lots of time, maybe you want to try a different approach. Maybe you can look at things in a different way and maybe your problems, your challenges, the things that have got you backed into a corner can be changed by just changing the way you think about it, changing the stories you tell yourself and giving yourself a fighting chance of coming out the other side. Look out for the oncoming episodes. You know what I want you to do. I said it at the beginning of the show. Please, please, please leave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you're on Android, Spotify, SoundCloud, please, 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 okay, do me a favor and leave me some positive comments. I promise you it matters a lot to me. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show and I'll see you on the next episode. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now Najahi sounds like an unusual word and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries. Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers, 
that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoy these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon.